Democrats allege that President Trump colluding with Russia stole the 2016 election. According to a new public opinion poll, most Republicans think the Mueller probe is a witch hunt, perhaps because President Obama installed a mole on the Trump campaign. The beautiful game wraps up in Russia as the real beautiful game of politics kicks off in Helsinki at the Trump-Putin summit. We will analyze. Then Brits try to nix Brexit and Ariana Grande proves Pat Robertson right on feminism and witchcraft. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. So we've got the conversation coming up. It's coming up very soon with the one and only Supreme Lord of the Multiverse, Andrew Clavin. Make sure you tune in for that. That will be uh, coming up. Uh, here is Mr. Clavin to tell you about it. Hey there, fellow Clavin fans. If you're like me, I know you're incredibly excited to find out what I'm going to say in a new episode of The Conversation on Tuesday, July 17th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. You can catch our live stream on Facebook and YouTube. And if you're a Daily Wire subscriber, you get to ask me questions about issues like these. How do conservatives take back the culture? Everything the left does is magnified because they have the megaphone of the press. I don't understand why otherwise smart, educated people support leftist ideas so much. Because they don't hurt them. Ben says that he finds friends kind of useless. <laughs> I find friends to be one of the great, great consolations of life. So. Subscribe now, and you can ask me live questions on Tuesday, July 17th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Join the conversation. Can't wait for that. Uh, also, you know, we've got to turn to our sister network, Daily Wire 2, pretty soon to Jeremy the God King Boring. But before we do that, got to make a little money, honey. Well, you know, you know, look, you look at my face, you say, how do you have such baby soft, supple skin, Michael? Well, the answer is Dollar Shave Club. That's how. The best razor that I've ever used in my life and all of DSC's portfolio of products are really good. Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. It has everything you need to get ready in the bathroom. Any uh, you know, any aspect of your body. So obviously you're shaving. They have really good stuff. They have that wonderful Dr. Carver shave butter that works really well. They've got shampoo, they've got conditioner, they've got body wash. But I do have to talk about, look, we've been very European recently. Uh, every, all of Americans loving soccer, watching the World Cup. Well, you know, one thing Europeans do, they have that uh, bidet, you know, they really take their hygiene very seriously from head to toe. And uh, Dollar Shave Club offers you a similar thing in uh, One Wipe Charlies. <laughs> so make sure you get those One Wipe Charlies. If you're, once you sit down, you know, you tune into the beautiful game, you're going to want to make sure you use your One Wipe Charlies too. Uh, it, it is really good. I'm telling, all jokes aside, Dollar Shave Club, it is the best razor I've ever used. I used it just this morning. I use it all the time. And I always use nice razors, uh, but this one, this is just the best. I think the the executive razor has 700 million blades on it. I'm not, I haven't counted exactly, but it's something like that. They really, it really works very well. Here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just five bucks, you can get their Daily Essential Starter Set. It comes with body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, the portable bidet, uh, and uh, the world famous shave butter, and their best razor, the six blade executive. Oh, it's six. Okay, six blade. Uh, keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month. Month, add in shampoo, toothpaste, anything else you need for the bathroom. Never have to run to the drugstore again. A thing that I would never do, so I would just use rusted over blades for years at a time. Don't do that. Uh, make sure you order this. It's a really great deal and great value. DollarShaveClub.com slash Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E, DollarShaveClub.com slash Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Without further ado, I need to know what happened in the game. Let's turn to our sister network, Daily Wire 2, and Jeremy, the God King Boring. 
Yoga is a pagan sex ritual, Michael. <laughs> As has been pointed out ad nauseum by comment trolls since this bit first began, the Femme Fatale World Cup is a true World Cup in which well-paid players from squads all over Europe change jerseys and play up their grandmother's accents to represent the districts beyond Capital City in a televised death match with indecipherable rules meant to provide circus for the masses while the muckety-mucks eat until they barf and then eat some more. Since it is a truly global competition, it seems appropriate to take instruction from the foremost citizen of the world and the first U.S. president not born on this continent, Barry Satoro, who, ignoring the actual Christian faith of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., scolds us that the arc of, his, of moral, uh, the arc of the moral universe may bend toward justice, but it is not doing so on its own. Indeed, it does so by way of money. And in the end, might finally made right even in the World Cup with France, GDP $2.46 trillion, obliterating Croatia with its GDP of roughly $50 billion, pretty much destroying every funny joke about the World Cup. <laughs> Fortunately, we here at The Daily Wire 2 managed to secure an interview with one of America's top soccer players to explain what went so wrong for Croatia and so right for basic capitalist principles. Well, here we are with one of America's foremost soccer experts. Let me ask you, what is your favorite thing about the beautiful sport? <laughs> what did you make of Giroud's performance in the World Cup? Okay, well, here's a better question. Croatia has a GDP of $50.43 billion. Their chief export is transport equipment. How do you think that factored into their matchup with France, whose three chief exports are cheese, wine, and cowardice? Mm. Well, I guess the only question in the aftermath of France and Croatia's final, will Germany rise again? That's all the time we have. Thank you, Ben, for that. A uh, very important interview. Of course, the biggest news of the weekend was not France being on the wrong side of history. It was FIFA's bold and courageous decision to stand up to the patriarchy by no longer giving women any screen time whatsoever at future <laughs> World Cup matches. In an official statement, Fufu President Eduardo on the take claimed that women have no place at the World Cup unless they are homely and insufferable, in which case it's still okay to show them as long as you pay them exactly 0% of what you're paying the male players who are far less interesting to watch. Feminists the world over celebrated the news that American men would no longer have any reason whatsoever to tune in to this mind-numbing snooze fest by crack-cackling like angry hens about how evil men are for no longer tuning in to this mind-numbing snooze fest. The trans community objected to the news that women can no longer be shown at soccer matches simply because they look like women by reminding us that while the gender pay gap is real, gender is not, and that looking like a woman is pretty much the definition of womanhood. That's just science. U.S. President Donald Trump responded to the announcement that hot babes would no longer get airtime at the World Cup by pulling America out of hosting the games in 2026, calling America's traditional allies losers, and asking Republican super donor Elliot Broidy for the number of that playmate he definitely didn't have sex with. <laughs> and that's all the news for the 2018 World Cup. I want to give a special thanks to Twitter handle Strangeland Elf for being lovely in every way and for not flying to Los Angeles and killing us before today's <laughs> broadcast, and to the six or seven people who actually thought this bit was funny. Soccer truly sucks and Germany will rise again. Michael, yoga is a pagan sex ritual.
Back to you. Really is the best part of the sport. Really thorough reporting, Jeremy. Thank you. So I was really taken all around the world with that. I'll confess to being pretty much out of jokes. But that doesn't mean we're going to stop the segment. Oh, God, no. no. Absolutely not. That would never hold that against us. I do have to wonder, though. So France won the World Cup. Is this not the great triumph of this segment that we've done now for weeks? Can a sport be a sport if France can win it? <laughs> uh, that's a fair point. You know, I always feel bad for our friends, the French. I mean, after mm-hmm. all, they, uh, they did help us win the American Revolution. Uh, that was the last war in which they showed heroism, bravery, backbone, spine. Uh, of course. It, it worked out well for us. That's true. And and then all the people that helped us in that revolution, by the way, promptly had their heads cut off about 10 years <laughs> later. That's right. As we now fly the flag of the, uh, flag of the French army. Really thorough reporting, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to um, keep talking about this important, beautiful game. Uh, when will the next soccer match be that we can watch and talk about? I'm going to have to be just plainly uh, honest with you, Michael. I don't know crap about soccer. I don't know who plays it or when. They built this brand new stadium in Los Angeles. I don't think that's for the World Cup, which is still eight years from now. Could be. I don't Who knows, really? As far as I know. I will say that according to social media, a lot of people do go to soccer matches at said stadium. Mm-hmm. Which is somewhere in Southern California. Well, I, I, I have to give you a lot of props, though, Mr. God King, mm. because your network, our sister network, Daily Wire 2, yes. really did stream phenomenal coverage of all of the game uh, over the weekend, and people mm. can go check that out. I really liked it at dailywire2.com, so maybe people can check that out. Uh, Mr. God King, I, I can't thank you enough. You've really shown me the light on this beautiful sport, and great news that President Trump is reacting to the cancellation of babes in that way. I uh, can't, can't wait for uh, the United States never to host the World Cup. He, Jeremy, is, he is constant as the North Star. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy the God King, boring everybody. Daily Wire 2, thank you very much. Bam! Bam! Pagan yoga is a pagan sex ritual. <laughs> really good. Speaking of the beautiful games in Russia, speaking of the beautiful games, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about the beautiful games of international politics, because th- that really is the beautiful game. And Hemingway had this great quote about games. He said, there are only three sports, bullfighting, motor racing, and mountaineering. All the rest are merely games. And a more Hemingway quote, I don't think I've ever heard. Uh, politics is a beautiful game. It is a game. It's not, it's not a sport. He, the, the distinction that Hemingway is drawing is between something where you really could die, you know, your life is really on the line, and then games, you know. And what we're seeing now is not war. We're not at war, really. We're not, the Trump-Putin summit is not about war, precisely. The Trump uh, Mueller probe is not about war. The Democrats and Republicans are not at war. We're in games, and politics is a high-stakes game, but it is a game. And everything you've been hearing over the past few weeks, the Mueller indictments, the curiously timed Mueller indictments, all the way up to the the Trump arrival in the United Kingdom, all the way to Trump meeting with Putin in Helsinki. It's all about games. And what is the thesis of the game? The The Democrats' play here, from just their side, is that the president colluded with Russia. That is, that's their position. That's what they're staking out. That's how they're going to play this game. And we have some video of it, don't we, of the president colluding with Russia? Let's see it. My last election. Yeah. Uh, after my election, I have more flexibility. 
No, no, no. That, not when President Obama said that he was going to mislead the American people when he promised that to the head of Russia on, a, on camera. He thought he was having a private conversation. I'm talking about the other time that the president colluded with Russia. You warned us about this, and you said there's about 145 million in kickbacks to the Clinton Foundation total. Yeah, that's right. $145 million that we know about um, comes from a variety of sources, but it's basically nine shareholders in this Uranium One company, guys like Frank Justra, Sergey Curzon, and, and others. And uh, there's, there's a major story to be told there, not only about how this deal was approved, but how this deal was put together and the fact that the Clintons made a lot of money uh, by basically helping the Russians to corner the world uranium market. No, I'm not talking about that time that former future president Hillary Clinton helped the Russian, took a lot of money by helping uh, the Russians to corner the global uranium market. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when the president colluded with Russia, just like all the Democrats have been saying. I established, uh, I think, a, an effective working relationship with Mr. Medvedev. And as a consequence, Russia's economy was growing. They had the opportunity to begin diversifying their economy, their relations uh, across Europe and around the world. Uh, were sound. Uh, they joined the WTO uh, with assistance from us. And since Mr. Putin made this decision around Crimea uh, and Ukraine, not because of some grand strategy. Governor Romney, I'm glad that you recognize that al-Qaeda is a threat. Because a few months ago, when you were asked what's the biggest geopolitical threat facing America, you said Russia. Not al-Qaeda. You said Russia. In the 1980s or now, calling to ask for their foreign policy back because, you know, the Cold War has been over for 20 years. Well, I was looking for the tape of President Trump colluding with Russia. Maybe the producers in the back can try to find that. We just found a bunch of Democrats colluding with Russia, President Obama and then former future President Democrat Hillary Clinton. They did. And, and this really does expose the whole Russia narrative as a farce. It's a political game and they're playing that game and that's fine, but that's the position we're in. They're, they, these are not honest brokers here, not the Democrats, not the media, perhaps not even the bureaucrats who are, who are pushing this narrative too. There is a big political game going on. We're, we're going to see who's going to win. The stage that's being played out on is Helsinki. President Trump is getting a lot of flack from the left and from his critics on the right, but it's a, it's really undeserved. This is a game. So we'll see how the game is being played. Uh, let's, let's go right in to President Trump meeting with Putin. Before, the, uh, before anything got started here, before the private meeting, before the press conference afterward, they held a little presser, a little meet and greet beforehand. And I got to tell you, you know how it started off in the right way, because President Trump made fun of soccer. Here it is. Well, first of all, Mr. President, I'd like to congratulate you on a really great World Cup, one of the best ever, from what everybody tells me, one of the best ever, and also for your team itself doing so well. I watch quite a bit in the United States, we call it soccer, and I watch quite a bit of it, and I watched the entire final and uh, the semifinals, and uh, they were really spectacular games, but it was beautifully done. So congratulations on that. So on, on the level, I don't want to read too much into this, you know, on the 98% of what this is, it's just a nicety, you know, trying to, what do you say about somebody who's like a vicious KGB killer who 
poisons people with polonium. You know, you just sort of say, oh, the games were nice, right? But he did get these kind of barbs in there, which is like, first of all, he implied that he'd never watched soccer before, which is obviously true because nobody has watched soccer before. He also said he refused to call it football or release it. You know, we call it soccer in America. That little weird thing that you kids do, we call it soccer. We do that. And uh, But he also said that the ones in Russia were some of the best ever, which is obviously true. Uh, that's, I think, a little bit of a backhanded compliment, you know, <laughs> damning with faint praise. <laughs> but he opens up, he says, yeah, yeah, soccer, it was good, it was good, it was good. And I got to tell you, from the beginning here, the the narrow, part of the Democrat game is that Donald Trump is a total, total nincompoop. He's a total incompetent idiot politician. And they, you can't have it both ways. Ben pointed this out on the Bill Maher show the other day. The, de, the Democrats' angle here is both that Donald Trump is a total incompetent nincompoop and also he's a political mastermind genius who colluded with Russia. And you can't have both. You have to pick one. You're not allowed to have both. Democrats are trying to push both narratives right now. They're trying to push it so that any way Trump turns, he's, uh, he's trapped by this Democrat playbook. Uh, I think we all have to conclude Donald Trump is a great politician. He's a really good politician. He's good at politics. He's even good at political speech. Here is just a quick example of, I think, the most basic level of political speech, Politics 101. I noticed this in my early days working on campaigns, and I'll just, uh, I'll show you. This is how President Trump is exemplifying political talk. I think we have great opportunities together as uh, two countries that, frankly, uh, we have not been getting along very well for the last number of years. I've been here not too long that it's getting close to two years, but I think we will end up having an extraordinary relationship, I hope so. I've been saying, and I'm sure you've heard over the years, and as I campaigned, that getting along with Russia is a good thing, not a bad thing. And I really think the world wants to see us uh, get along. We are the two great nuclear powers. Uh, we have 90% of the nuclear, and that's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. And I think we uh, hopefully can do something about that because it's not a positive force, it's a negative force. So we'll be talking about that among other things. You see that it's a this thing, not a this thing. This is po political speech 101. And it plays out differently with different people because in order to affect a political agenda, you need to throw issues into stark light. Now, what uh, kind of mealy-mouthed people do, what Barack Obama likes to do sometimes when he's being called out for not dealing properly with Russia or whatever, is he says, well, it's very complicated. It's very nuanced. It's really, and you can't say do, 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 do. Okay. When you're trying to obfuscate, that's what you do. When you want to call things into stark light and achieve something politically, you say, it's this, not this. It's black and white. And what, what dishonest politicians do, by the way, is they, whenever they say that, whenever they use that phrase, like, I want to lower your taxes, not raise your taxes. You, whatever they say after not is what they really want to do. <laughs> so that's what, that's what like slimy politicians do. It's like, look, I, I want to help alleviate poverty, not just help out the rich. Right, and they always, it's always just the last one. And, uh, but Donald Trump is an honest politician. He's, he's honest to a fault. I think his critics on the right and the left both say this. They say he's too, you know, he's too clear in what he says. I say I'm going to cut taxes, he cuts taxes. I, he says he's going to appoint an originalist, he appoints an originalist. He says he's going to try to work things out with Putin, he tries to work things out with Putin. He says he's going to destroy ISIS militarily, he destroys ISIS militarily. 
He's really honest. He's got a good record on keeping his promises. This is something new. It's why people don't really understand Donald Trump that well, is because what he says he's going to give you is what he actually gives you. Uh, the press conference then afterward is being pilloried. They're saying John McCain sent out this blistering statement, you know, John McCain pulls no punches as though John McCain ever pulled a punch. You know, he's always uh, criticizing the president. He has a penchant for criticizing people in his own party, and he's always issuing grandiose statements. He says, it's the worst press moment ever in the history of the presidency. In my lifetime, it's terrible. Wah, 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 right? Okay. Uh, was the press conference perfect? No, I don't think anybody says it was perfect. Broadly, though, it's good. And uh, President Trump really achieved something important here, which is forget about the Putin thing. It doesn't really matter. They had their private uh, their private meeting and the United States is going to pursue its interest. Russia is going to pursue its interest. We'll see if we can get along. Probably we can't, but maybe we can. The, the achievement that, pres- that President Trump had in this press conference is he fended off the Democrat attacks and he offended off their game strategy. The Democrat game strategy is to put him in a corner such that anything he does is a loss for Trump. If he hits Putin, it's a loss. If he, if he plays soft with Putin, it's a loss. That's what they were trying to do. He fended that off very well. Here's just a little bit from the press conference. The disagreements between our two countries are well known, and President Putin and I discussed them at length today. But if we're going to solve many of the problems facing our world, then we're going to have to find ways to cooperate in pursuit of shared interests. They also did trade some barbs. You had to be watching this closely, Uh, but they did trade some barbs here. You know, uh, President Trump called Putin a global competitor. They said, do you really think he's a competitor? Some of the Russian journalists said, do you really think he's a competitor? He says, yeah, absolutely he's a competitor. And we're going to compete for oil, uh, giving oil to Europe. Right now, uh, Europe is buying a lot of oil from Russia, and I want to stop that, and I want them to buy more from the United States because we're the largest oil producer in the world. We're number one. We're number one. This is a pretty strong statement from Trump. Putin got in a dig about Israel. Putin said, you know, uh, it was actually a concession. Israel said they're going to go back. Syria needs to go back to the ceasefire from, I think, 1974 and, uh, you know, basically ensure uh, Israeli uh, peace and security. And Putin said, you know, President Trump was really specific about Israel. He was really focusing on Israel. And this was a little dig in there to try to create some turmoil, uh, some domestic turmoil for the United States, but just a little bit of a line. And then uh, President Trump, when he was, he was broadly deflecting questions about the Mueller indictment and the collusion and the this and that, but he, he did have this line. I forget the exact wording. He did say like, well, you know, President Putin's going to answer some questions. He's going to look into this. There's some things being raised. You know, it wasn't this total saying, yes, Putin didn't interfere in our election. He said, well, he's going to have to look into that. He basically takes President Putin's denial for, you know, for what it is. What are you going to do? He he says, we didn't do it. And then he's going to say, yes, you did. You did it. You did it. Damn it. No, that blows up the whole summit. But he did get in there like, well, okay, I don't, uh, you know, well, let's see what we believe from Vladimir Putin. Um, the, the media then, of course, come in and they try to trash this. So the, the real game here is the media trying to blow up this summit, put Trump in a position where everything he does is wrong. By the way, these indictments came out last week, the end of last week. Is that a coincidence? I got to tell you, you know, people try to make Bob Mueller and the special counsel look like he's totally above politics. People do, they do this with the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's totally above politics. Bob Mueller watches the election returns. Bob Mueller watches the presidential calendar. And the Supreme Court watches the election returns too. That's the, the longstanding political reality of things. Those indictments came out on that day to blow up the 
uh, summit to blow up the Putin-Trump summit in Helsinki. That's what it was all about. There, there are no coincidences in politics. So how did Trump do on that? Well, uh, here is the, the big blow up on holding Russia accountable. Here's the press conference. Russia at all accountable for anything in particular? And if so, what would you, what would you consider them that they are responsible for? Yes, I do. I hold uh, both countries responsible. I think that the United States has been foolish. I think we've all been foolish. We should have had this dialogue a long time ago, a long time, frankly, before I got to office. That's right. That's the statement. That's the one that he's getting blown up for. He, you know, he said there's blame to go around for the breakdown in Russia and U.S. ties and cooperation. That's obviously true. He, later on, he says, you know, the probe is a disaster for our country. You know, it's a, and that is, it is a disaster for our country, not, not for Russia's country. It's not drawing some sort of moral equivalence between Bob Mueller and Vladimir Putin, a KGB killer. But he's saying, yes, that this, the, the probe, this has been pushed by Democrats, begun by Democrats, begun by Democrat oppo, constantly touted by the Democrat media. That has been a trouble for our country and it has strained U.S. and Russian relations. But uh, is there blame to go around? That's the big question. Is there blame to go around for the breakdown in U.S.-Russian relations? Of course. Of course. Why are we, why are we negotiating from a position of weakness? Well, uh, Barack Obama uh, did nothing when Vladimir Putin annexed Crimea. That was a mistake. There's some blame to go around there. Uh, Hillary Clinton sold, uh, took money from the Russians and gave them control over a large part of the global uranium market. That was a mistake. That, that comes to blame. That affects our position. Uh, President Obama leaned in and said, I am willing to lie to the American people. I'm going to mislead the American people through my election, and then I'm going to pivot and do the opposite of what I say I'm going to do. Do something different than I'm promising the election. I'm going to give you flexibility. That's a position of weakness. There's been a lot of blame to go around of, of previous administrations not to take a hard line. The, the Russian hacking, by the way, took place under the Obama administration. How, why didn't they stop it? Why couldn't they prevent it? Why couldn't they deal with it in real time? That was a mistake. There's blame to go around. And that's perfectly, that's not drawing moral equivalence between the United States and Russia. I'm very pleased that President Trump has no, is no longer drawing moral equivalence. That's a good thing. That means he's getting better in office. But there is a lot of blame to go around. And the, the past administration and the former future president, Hillary Clinton, as secretary of state, did a lot of damage to that, to that relationship. And it's because they led from behind, because they, they negotiated from weakness. So the media still wouldn't let up here, though. You know, uh, President Trump, or President Trump, President Putin almost admitted, by the way, that he did hack the election. Here's Putin. As to who is to be believed, as to who is not to be believed, you can trust no one if you, if you take this. Where did you get this idea that President Trump trusts me or I trust him? He defends the interests of the United States of America, and I do defend the interests of the Russian Federation. We do have interests that are common. We are looking for points of contact. There are issues where our postures diverge, and we are looking for ways to reconcile our differences, how to make our more That's the whole story, folks. That's the whole story. They're saying the big New York Times headline here is Donald Trump gives into Russia. He won't condemn Putin. He won't scream and try to rip his head off on stage. He's a sellout. He gives in and Putin's lying and getting away with it. Putin just admitted right there that he hacked the election. That's the confession. That's the big admission. He said, look, what do you mean? Who, because the question is, who should we believe, the U.S. intelligence agencies or Vladimir Putin? Should we trust Putin? And Putin actually comes out and says, why would you trust me? 
Why are you trust? I don't trust Trump. Trump dr- doesn't trust me. He's coming at that. This is the whole story because President Trump defends American interests and Putin defends the Russian interests. That's the admission right there, but that won't be reported on, will it? Because I, I, you know, you never wonder with the Democrats if it's malice or idiocy, but either they're very obtuse or they're, uh, or they just didn't understand what Vladimir Putin is saying there. The media still wouldn't let up here. They're begging him. They're saying, come on, Trump, blow up the whole summit. Tell Putin off. Do it, do it, do it. Here, here they are. Would you now, with the whole world watching, tell President Putin, would you denounce what happened in 2016? And would you warn him to never do it again? All I can do is ask the question. All I can do is ask the question. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Obviously. What do you want me to do? I mean, Trump is sitting there like, are you an idiot? What is to be gained? What is to be gained from Trump going on stage and saying, you tried to spy on our election and interfere with us and... And then they say, okay, well, there goes the summit. Why did we have the summit at all? I mean, the the Mueller indictments coming out when they did was to stop the summit. They don't want the summit to happen. But what's to be gained from that? Does anybody on earth really believe that Russia didn't try to interfere in our elections? Russia's been trying to interfere in our elections since 1917. Do we really think that all of a sudden they stopped interfering? In the 1970s, 1980s, you had Ted Kennedy uh, trying to, to collude with the Russians to help his presidential election. You, you had uh, Kiss- Henry Kissinger was talking to the Russians, obviously. Uh, the, the notion that they're not interfering in our elections and that we don't have strategic interests to spy on the Russians is absurd, of course. Everybody spies on each other. That's just the way it is. They got a good one this time. Sad, you know. But what... Uh, does that mean that we shouldn't have any diplomacy now because a nation is spying on us, because a nation is aggressive, because a nation's trying to interfere in our elections and we're interfering in other elections and we're spying on other people perhaps? That means that we shouldn't have diplomacy? That's absurd. And they wouldn't believe it. If this were a Democrat president, they would absolutely be saying, great, finally, diplomacy is winning. It's, it, it's just a political game. And uh, this is why you shouldn't get too riled up about this, folks, if you're on the left or the right. This is a game that is being played out by the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. Uh, you know, ironically here, ironically here, the New York Times is actually commending uh, Donald Trump. And they're commending him because they can't ignore it anymore. On this foreign trip, he actually, the headline from the New York Times is, Trump got from NATO everything Obama ever asked for. It shows the game for what it is. Because if Barack Obama were doing these things, they would be cheering. The, the Democrat Party wants to put Donald Trump in a position where if he uh, if he is too nice to Putin or he's diplomatic with Putin, then it's evidence that he colluded, even though we've seen no evidence that there was any campaign collusion. And what they're trying to do is back him into a corner where he has to be extremely aggressive with Putin, which will hamper his agenda to try to, co- to try to first of all, bring the nations closer together and to cooperate where they can. Either way, it's a lose-lose for Trump. Trump's not going to do that. That's a big win. That's a big win. And, you know, here, here's the New York Times. Now that the smoke is cleared from the NATO summit meeting, the most tangible result is apparent. President Trump advanced President Barack Obama's initiative to keep the allies on track to shoulder a more equitable share of NATO's costs. Mr. Trump even signed on to a tough statement directed at Russia. For once, he saw eye to eye with his predecessor. <laughs> Yet whether Mr. Trump himself is clear about the strategy he's pursuing or whether he in fact has one remains mysterious. Of course, you know, this, they've got to get their knock and Trump is an idiot, right? That's from the New York Times. But on actually what he's getting, it seems that he's getting the right things. You know, uh, Barack Obama sent campaign advisors to try to stop, to try to interfere in the Israeli election and kick out Bibi Netanyahu. We didn't hear uh, anything about this because this is a political game. And I think fortunately... Was this a clear win 
for President Trump and the administration? Was this a clear he knocked it out of the park? Maybe not, but he won and he fought back and there's, and it, we should not be criticizing him for that because to, uh, to do that is to deny the, the actual stakes of this game and to, to deny the reality of it. Uh, by the way, uh, this brings us to, uh, this brings us to the Brexit. So we all remember Brexit. Um, oh gosh, do we have time? I really want to get to these indictments. We just have too much today. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, analyze the indictments tomorrow. Uh, but broadly speaking, I read through all of those Mueller indictments, those politically timed Mueller indictments. And what they show is that, uh, the, what the Democrats are trying to show is that President Trump called out and he said, hey, Russia, if you find the emails, you know, let us know. And then they started hacking. That's not true. What the indictments show us very clearly is that the hacking started way beforehand. It started in March. President Trump didn't make those, those comments until the uh, late spring and summer. Uh, that started in March. Uh, they spearfished. They started hacking. They were hacking for a very long time. CNN says Trump asked Russian to get Clinton emails. They immediately started trying. Just not true. All of this is about, this ultimate game is about overturning a democratic election. You're seeing this in the Brexit before we, before we go and then I'll analyze Ariana Grande. Uh, right now there is a campaign. You remember the Brexit when the UK is supposed to leave the European Union? You might not remember it because it hasn't happened yet. And the reason it hasn't happened is because just like the left in America is playing their game, the left in the UK is also playing this game to undermine a presidential, or to undermine a democratic election. There was a referendum campaign. The British people said, we want to leave the EU. So what has George Soros done? He's announced a new, uh, a push for a new referendum. They say we need a new referendum. Why? Because the first referendum didn't go his way, didn't go their way. He said, quote, ultimately it's up to the British people to decide what they want to do. It would be better, however, if they came to a decision sooner rather than later. That's the goal of the initiative, which I call best for Britain. It's what I support. They already had, they already decided. They already had their voices heard. They just didn't give you the answer that you wanted. So now you've got to do it again. They do this again and again. This pro-EU uh, member of parliament, Justine Greening, wants a new vote. And what the left wants to do, they want to keep voting. They want to keep counting until they get their answer. The election results come in and the, and the numbers aren't in their favor. Ah, oh, just keep counting. Keep on counting. Keep on counting right away. It's anti-democratic. It's being played out through the Mueller probe. It's being played out through the mainstream media. It's being played out on the global stage in Helsinki. It's being played out at the Brexit. We shouldn't fall for it. You have to know the rules of the game if you're going to win the game. And, and denying the game that's being played is not the way to do it. It's a, it's a beautiful game, politics, but you've got to look at it with uh, pretty clear eyes. And I, I, what we've got here is basically a win. At least in this round, we've still got a win. And it's much more beautiful and entertaining and important than soccer. We will, <laughs> we've got to get to Ariana Grande. We're running late today, folks. Go to dailywire.com right now. If uh, you're already a subscriber, thank you. You help us keep the lights on. You keep Kofefe in my cup. If you're not, go. It's $10 a month, $100 for an annual membership. You got me, The Andrew Clavin Show, The Ben Shapiro Show. You have to ask questions in the mailbag. Look, if you're saying, I just get the updates on YouTube and that's great and I'll watch it on YouTube, they're colluding against you, pal. You got to go over there right now. YouTube is trying to shut us down. And uh, even if you've subscribed, you might not get notifications that we're on. So you got to go and you got to ring the bell. You got to click the little bell on YouTube and then you'll start getting notifications again until they find some other way to try to kill us. So go to dailywire.com because again, as none of that matters, this is what matters. The leftist tears tumbler. This is like a nice, a nice, uh, tastes like a mixture of, uh, borscht and vodka. It's really good this time. I call it the Hel the Helsinki vintage. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back to explain how Ariana Grande is a witch. <laughs>
in our remaining moments here, I want to turn to the question. Forget the question about politics. Forget the question about Russian collusion. Is God a woman? That's, that's what Ariana Grande is alleging. If you haven't seen her new music video, here's just a clip and we will analyze it. It's a little racy. Can we, are we allowed to play that on the show? I don't know. Play it again. I don't know. Uh, so this song that Ariana Grande has come out with, Ariana Grande I think is about four years old. I don't know. She's like 25 or something. She's like a teeny bopper and now she's a uh, you know, big pop star. And I actually kind of like some of her work. I think she's got like a real sense for pop music, which, you know, I'm going to, this is, this is worse than liking soccer for my masculinity card. But this song is really crazy because it's extremely cultic. It, so God is a woman. Obviously, it's a very provocative statement. Also not true. Uh, and you see all of this imagery throughout the mu music video. People are saying it's so weird. They don't get it. You get this weird like flame thing and a bunch of screaming groundhogs and uh, Ariana Grande sort of caressing in a sensuous way, the, uh, a storm system moving over the globe. What does it all mean? What does she mean by God is a woman? Where, where does this come from? It's really, really cultic. Like uh, Pat Robertson joked about this, and by joking, I mean he probably really believed this, that uh, feminism is tied into the occult. It's tied, modern leftism is tied into the occult. Ariana Grande is kind of proving that point here. You know, you immediately get all of this anatomic imagery. So you get like this flame that looks kind of anatomical. You get this watery paint bed that has certain designs, the storm system. And it, it reminds me of Georgia O'Keeffe. She was the one who painted very anatomical looking flowers. You know, when you go to the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum in Santa Fe, you have to watch this video right up front and they say, you know, Georgia O'Keeffe, people thought she was painting women's anatomy, but that isn't true. And then you go look and every single painting is pretty graphic and contradicts the video. Uh, that's what you're getting here. You're getting a lot of Georgia O'Keeffe imagery and a lot of cultic stuff. It comes from, it reminds me of like Gilgamesh. You, you get, uh, you know, kind of this feminist, uh, I guess what it would be like a sacred prostitute. This appears in Gilgamesh, it appears in the Bible. A lot of ancient religions had these sort of sacred prostitutes and you get a lot of imagery in here. And I was thinking, I was like, am I reading too deeply into this? Am I, I don't know. The video was released on Friday the 13th which is like Friday was the, is the witch's Sabbath in the occult. And, you know, obviously everyone knows the, the, uh, what Friday the 13th symbolizes. And then later on in the video, you get this book. It's all of these men sort of screaming at her in, from a book. And she's sitting there like the thinker, this, the, the statue of the thinker, and it, which is based on the, the sculpture by uh, Rodin. And uh, it's for a doorway surrounding the gates of hell, which is based on Dante. More kind of cultic, dark imagery. Men are throwing words at her. And the book that they're standing in is a history of agriculture. It's these men in history, the history of cultivation. It's written in French, but it's the history of aggravature, how to cult. So at this point, I was pretty sure that that's what's going on. Then uh, Ariana Grande appears in front of this three-headed dog, Cerberus. It calls to mind, you know, this dog of the underworld. When you try to come for me, I keep on flourishing, she says. Really, you know, poetry. And then there's this crazy scene where these groundhogs just jump up from the ground, this dry earth, and start screeching in this awful voice. And so I, I, I read a piece on Patheos, a great website that has a lot of religious stuff, by Matt Oren, who is a gay male witch. Do, do, do with that what you will. 
And he says that this is all an, a reference to the pagan holiday of Imbolc, which coincides with the Christian holiday of Candlemas. And it's a celebration of the, this goddess's return to the land to bring water to this dry land and the light taking over the darkness. And you see a, to, a total one for one in the imagery there. Uh, the imagery of Groundhog's Day, the light taking over the darkness and the dry land and then the water imagery immediately comes afterward. Uh, and then there's another image of Ariana Grande like a, like a she-wolf and like the little kids Romulus and Remus sort of suckling from her. It, I hope I'm not making this sound sensuous. It isn't. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty gross looking. Um, but I, I was, I'm really shocked by this because all the times you hear these right-wing sort of people say, pop culture is awful. It's perverting the minds of people. It's cultic. It's this, it's that. And you kind of, it's so easy to brush them off. And who cares? Do I think that a whole generation is going to be destroyed by some stupid music video? No, but it is all cultic imagery. It does really have a point. And very easily in our political discourse, it's easy to brush things off and say, oh, you're thinking too much. Oh, you're, well, you know who else thought too much? The person who made this video. They were thinking a lot too. They were putting images there pretty intentionally. There are a lot more references in it that we don't really have time to get into. But it does really make you think. I did this video for PragerU where I said, you got to watch your language. People say, oh, who cares if you use illegal alien or undocumented immigrant? Who cares? It's just semantics. Those words, those little things, they really matter. One of the characters on The Crown a couple seasons ago, he said, you know, it's in the small things that the rot begins. You've got to really look out for that. And it uh, totally reminds me of, uh, of that Pat Robertson quote. Perhaps you've heard it. I'll, I'll leave you on this note today because we've got to go. But it is the greatest quote in political history from Pat Robertson. He's the squinty guy on the Christian channel. He says, the feminist agenda is not about equal rights for women. It is about a socialist, anti-family political movement that encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism, and become lesbians. <laughs> I'm not going to unpack that. I'll let Ariana Grande do that for you. I'll let soccer, which is an outgrowth of that, do that for you. Uh, but I'll leave, <laughs> leave you on that note today. Uh, we've got some great guests coming up this week. I can't wait for you to tune in for it. Now that we've covered all of the political gamut for the last three days, we can get back to more broader things tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.